0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our Thursday morning weekly Parshish year. We actually have three Parshas this week. We have Ayakel, we have Parshas Pekudai, and we have Parsha HaKodesh, which means that this Shabbos is also Shabbos Chazak, where we conclude the entire Chumash Mois. This Shabbos is also Shabbos Mavarchim Nissan, where we usher in uh, the month of miracles, and it means it's also time to start getting ready for Pesach. I'm going to start with a beautiful vort on Parshas Vayakel, and then we're going to go after a couple of minutes into Parshas Pekude and see, with Hashem's help, if we can connect the two. So I want to start with an observation. It's a silly observation. It's, I don't, it's an observation of my own, um, but it's an observation nonetheless that I'd like to begin with.
1: L'chaim. Of all of the stories that the Torah sh- shares with us, Um, the creation of the
0: world, uh, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, the Jewish people in Mitzrayim, you know, um, the Jewish people in the desert, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu. Of all the amazing stories that the Torah shares with us that we studied, they're not just stories, of course, they're there to teach us lessons, but, but of all these things that the Torah shares with us, how many of these stories ever go from the beginning till the end without there ever being any problem? Without, without anything going wrong? How many of the stories go off without a hitch? You know, things are intended to go a certain way. They're set in position to go in the way that they're supposed to. And it works exactly as it was intended to. I can only think as I give this sheer here on uh, on Thursday morning, uh, right before Shabbos, M'Vorcha, Nissen, Tov Pe Gimel, 2023. I can only actually think of one. Um, and it's the stories we read about in Parshas Vayakal and Pekudai. Otherwise, every other story in the Torah, if you think about it, either ends in complete disaster, or at least has some significant disaster along the way. From the creation of the world, where Hashem creates everything, beautifully and perfectly, gives humanity one instruction, humanity, which consists exactly of two people, right? Uh, or, 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 or maybe, a, you know, two people and their children. That gives them one instruction and they cannot contain themselves for three hours. If it's, uh, you know, the stories of Avrom Yitzchak, and Yaakov, where they all struggle to have children and 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 they have Avram and Yitzchak have children who are a show him. And when Yaakov has sons who are all saddikim, but they fight with each other, and, and when they almost kill Yosef, and Yosef, et cetera, et cetera. Every story, you know, Hashem gives the Torah to the Jewish people. Forty days later, they worship the eagle Hashem brings them to the borders of Eretz we'll learn later on. And they send spies, and they sabotage the whole mission. Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu is supposed to go into Eretz That ends in disaster. Uh, uh, everything, you know... That's, I mean, okay, I, I get it. It's part of what makes the stories intriguing and 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 interesting, and, and there's a journey here, etc. <clears throat> but I think the one exception to this rule is the story of the Mishkan. From the beginning when the mitzvah is given, until the conclusion when it's carried out and 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 built, and and instructions are given in terms of how to conduct oneself oneself in this Mishkan, pretty much everything goes, happens as smoothly as possible. An instruction is given that the Mishkan be built, the instruction is conveyed. Um, The Jewish people all, in one of the greatest miracles of Jewish history, bring more money than is necessary for the construction of the Mishkan. It ends up being constructed, as we'll read in Parshas Pekudai, Kasha Hashem as Moshe, exactly as Hashem instructed Moshe, although maybe that's not as simple as it sounds. We'll get into that in a few minutes. But generally speaking, it ends up being constructed exactly as Hashem intended. Hashem's presence rests in the Mishkan. Um, The Jewish people fulfill in the Mishkan exactly what they're supposed to. They offer up sacrifices and korbonus, and, and and the Mishkan functions beautifully. Always, we don't ever read anywhere in the Torah that there was some dysfunction or some glitch in the function in the cons- in the in the function of the Mishkan, in the construction of the Mishkan, in the deconstruction of the Mishkan, in the transporting the Mishkan from one place to the other, um, in in the gathering of the materials necessary to put together the Mishkan, right. Remember that it was constructed, the Mishkan was constructed intentionally in order to be able to move from one place to another. The Levim did so. They were given specific instructions on how to do say. They were told that if they violate the instructions, it could end in capital, it could end in death. They never violate it. Everything goes off perfectly. You know, imagine Lahavdil Elif You know, imagine some kind of a show or, you know, something like that where there's no problem, (laughs) where there's no, imagine a storyline where there's no,
1: there's no problem. In fact, I'll tell you how far this goes. In fact, not only is the Mishkan
0: constructed and collected and built, you know, without their, without anything going wrong, when the Jewish people go into Eretz Yisrael, they take the Mishkan together with them. The Mishkan is with them, as I mentioned in one of the previous weeks, uh, for the Mishkan is with them for about 440 years until Shloyman Melech builds the first base of Mikdash. And according to the teachings that we have from the Medrash from Chazal, actually the Mishkan was never destroyed. Chazal tell us because it was made by Moshe Rabbeinu and Maiseyedei Moshe Nitzchim, the, the handiwork of Moshe Rabbeinu, is eternal. So actually the, the Mishkan was never destroyed. The Beis HaMikdosh, the first and the second was Rachmol destroyed. The Mishkan never. It was hidden, it was buried, it was placed under the ground, etc. So actually it's 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 sort of the untouchable it's that part of the chumash uh, where, where everything goes, you know, where everything goes goes right as it was intended to. Anyways, I wanted to start with that with that observation. Um, we'll see soon in a few minutes. It's actually not exactly as simple as it sounds. Things could have gone wrong, um, but 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 they didn't, and, and, and we'll soon see. But first, what was the purpose of the building of the Mishka? Why Hashem said, Build for me a Mishkan and I'll and I'll live there. What, what was the purpose of it? Um, we're taught, we're given different explanations, right? Rashi says in the beginning of Parsha Spakudeh very famously that this was a sign, this was an eidos, Rashi said. this was a testimony for the whole world that Hashem had forgiven the Jews for the sin of the Egel Um it was a it was a home for Hashem, it was a place where Rubin Shalom spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu. all communication between Hashem and Moshe once the Mishkan was built took place through the Mishkan. Um, So it's it's safe to say that there were many different functions that the Mishkan served. And again, we don't find anywhere in Chomesh that there was a disruption as long as the Mishkan was around. In the function of the Mishkan, it seems to have served its purpose exactly as was intended. Okay. If you have a Chomesh in
1: front of you, um, open up in the beginning of Parshas Vayakel
0: here the Torah is describing how the Jewish people all brought their wealth, um, the gold, the silver, the copper, uh, they brought their jewelry, they, they brought all things necessary um, so that, that sufficient materials could be gathered for the construction of the mission. Says the Posuk, The men came al hanoshim. Rashi says this should be translated as "together with the women." The men came together with the women. Every generous person came. They brought rings and nose rings, tabas, vachumas, signet rings, uh, girdles, kolklizav, all different types of golden vessels,
1: and they brought it to the mishkan. And
0: every man that brought an offering of gold to Hashem, they all came together to bring again, you know, this was uh, one of the only times in Jewish history when they had to actually stop the fundraising efforts. Later, the to Torah will say that a, um, that a an announcement was released in the camp <coughs> telling the Jews to stop bringing money. <laughs> I once heard a fundraiser joke and said, ever since that, ever since that announcement was released in the camp he says all jewish rabbis and fundraisers have been regretting it for for all eternity you know because an announcement was made telling the jews stop bringing the money we have enough all right but the posse describes how all jews came the men together with the women with regard to the expression of the posse in the beginning of Chopeis, by a base it's a it's a it's an irregular expression the men Literally translated, means the men on the women. So Rashi says, the pshat is, The men came together with their wives. Means um, they came close after them. So what Rashi is explaining is that the women were more enthusiastic about bringing these gifts to the Mishkan. Um, why were they more enthusiastic? The Torah doesn't say. It. The simple understanding is because the women are more spiritually in tune. Women were were more excited about the idea of of, um, of building a home for Hashem, of bringing this added kedusha into Klal Yisrael. So they were more excited. By ho al hanoshim means the men were also excited. The men were also eager to bring their jewelry, to bring to make their donations. Not as excited as the women, but nevertheless sufficiently excited. And everybody came. Says, according to Rashi, this, this, this is the way, this, this is what the Pesach means, again the expression, Ho al hanoshim, Rashi says, means that the men came second, behind the women women first, men second and here there is a commentary from the Sefa Um, it's actually in, in his typical style in this Chumash that I have in front of me, it's actually written in one and a half lines, I'm going to read it and try to explain it a little bit he gives a beautiful interpretation on this choi- uh, Hasidic explanation, on this choice of words of the posuk, ho'an no al hanoshim. Ho'an no al hanoshim, says the Sfasemes. again, the, the question here is that it's a strange choice of language. Ha no al hanoshim would literally translate as the men are the women. Bo no al al ma'ilas falichuva, says the, says the Sfas Emes. This posuk is hinting to us that there is something special, specifically
1: about Baalichul. Men, this verse reminds us, were involved
0: in the sin of the Cheto Egil in last week's parashim. Women were not. So the men who sinned in the Egil, the men who sinned in the egel were elevated to a higher level than the women who didn't sin by the ego. Why? Why were the men elevated to a higher level? The men, says the Sfas channeled their ritzunas, their 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 means their their wants, their desires, that were involved in the chetu that were involved in the in the making of the golden calf and the worshipping of the golden calf. They channeled all of those ritzunas. Into a build into building a a, a, a mishkan and a home for Hashem, the women were never involved in the ketuaegel in the first place. The women were not interested. The women didn't contribute. Um, they didn't worship it. They were they were somehow immune to the challenges or the, the or the or the mishaps of the ketuaegel. Women were not involved, right? There's a das zakenim that says this is the reason why. Women were given a special yomtov that men were not, which is the yomtov of a since the the right since the mishkan was dedicated on a All right, be it as it may. The men were involved in, in the in the in the ego. Then afterwards, the Mish, they were instructed to build the mishkan, construct it, bring money to it. This was, as I mentioned before, one of the purposes of it was a kapora for the chetor as a sign to the world that Hashem had forgiven the Jews for the chetor So for the men, says the Fas the construction of the mishkan bringing the money to the mishkan was a moment actually of chuva there was a, a kapora process involved they had sinned with the eagle and now they were fixing this for the women there was no such kapora involved because they hadn't sinned in the first place says the so anoshim al hanoshim means that in this case the men are actually superior to the women the opposite shadow rashi. Rashi says, oh, well, he's not explaining Pshat, he's giving a Hasidic interpretation, but it's the opposite way of understanding of Rashi. Rashi says, oh, anoshim, alhanoshim, means the men secondary to the women. The women were more enthusiastic, I cared, because the women were spiritually higher than men, as evident by the fact that they were not involved in the sin of the Egel. So therefore, they were more enthusiastic to build a home for Hashem. Uh, which, the men, says Rashi, who were obviously less, spiritually in tune they also got involved in the construction of the mishkan but not as excited as the women that's rashi's job slasema says that there's there's a perspective that goes the other way around the slasema says don't forget if the if that the that the mishkan is part of kapara is part of forgiveness for the cheto ego for the men who were involved in the cheto ego not for the women for the women there's no kapara involved because there was no sin so he says, as Hashemites reminds us, he says, remember that there's something called milas balay tshuva. There's something called the superiority of a bal tshuva. A bal tshuva, the Gemara tells us, reaches a higher level than a tzaddik. So yes, of course, it's true that the women had this advantage that they were not involved in the sin of the Egel Azov in the first place, of course. But the men had a different advantage. The men who were involved in the Egel Azov, for them, the construction and the function of the Mishkan is tshuva. No, if a person does tshuva, then in a, in a sense, they reach a higher level than a person who didn't sin in the first place. It's, just a, it's a very nice pshat. Says so the Tzatzemes, that's the deeper meaning by a voyu anoshim al-hanoshim. The men, in a spiritual sense, the men came in a spiritually superior moment than the women, because for them this was a concept of the teshuvah. Okay, in the typical uh, uh, Hasidic gerer, Svasemis was one of the, was the second gerer rebbe. He doesn't explain more than that. He relies it. He relies it on us to sort of dissect and and, and, and analyze. But but the word stands and it's very insightful. What he's saying is that the mishkan served different purposes for different people. Right, for, for, for some, there was an element of teshuva involved. For some, there was an element of, of fixing and cleaning and, and, and kaporah. That, that's for the people who were involved in the chetor For the women, there was no cleanup. They, 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 hadn't sought, they hadn't dirtied themselves in the first place. So in that sense, the Torah is telling us that there was a superiority
1: for the men over, over, over the women in a spiritual sense. All right. <clears throat> Let's leave it at that for now. I want to also study with you a Rashi with Hashem's help
0: in Parshas Pe'kudei, and then I want to try to connect. Uh, I want to try to connect these two ideas. So again, if your Chumash is still open in front of you, turn to the beginning of Parshas Pe'kudei. This is a very famous Rashi. We'll study it together um, and discuss some of the insights and the discussions on this Rashi. So in Parshas Pe'kudei. The second Parsha that we read this week, Moshe Rabbeinu gives very famously a very specific and detailed uh, reckoning of what was done with all of these materials that were contributed to the Mishkan. (inaudible) Eilopukudaya Mishkan, Moshe Rabbeinu gives them an accounting, right? Dollar and cents, where did all the materials go? What was done with it? Um, That's how the beginning of the Parsha starts. And then the Parsha goes on to say that they constructed the Mishkan exactly as as Hashem had, had, had told them to. All right, the Medrash says very the Morris says very famously that Moshe Rabbeinu had to do this because, he, because uh, the Jews suspected Moshe Rabbeinu of stealing some of the money, some of the materials that were, that were donated, right? Sound familiar? Moshe Rabbeinu had become rich, actually become rich uh, in, in the process of the construction of the Mishkan, but it wasn't from the materials donated for the Mishkan. It was actually from the leftover pieces of sapphire um, out, out of which Moshe Rabbeinu had carved the Luchas, the leftover pieces. Um, uh, Moshe Avodah became became, uh, became became wealthy from that, but the Jews suspected him, so he gave a detailed account. Eilah B'Kuday Amishkan says the says the Torah and parashas These are the enumerations um of what was done with with the mission. The, these are the countings of the Mishkan. Mishkan Avodah Shapukah Moshe was instructed by Moshe Avodah Shalavim. It was intended to be uh, um, the Avodah Shalavim means the Levim were the ones. Who would, um, who would transport this Mishkan. Excuse me. Bekuley Mishkan, the keeping count of what was done with all the materials. This was, this was done by the Levim, the son of an Aaron Okay. Uve says the postul, second postul in Parshish Bekuley, Uve ben Uri ben the lamata But An individual called Betzalel. the player has mentioned his name a few times. B'Tzalel, the son of Uri, the son of Khur, by the way, Betzalel, at the time of the construction of the Mishkan, the Gomorrah says, was 13 years old. Betzalel's father, Uri, was the son of Hur. Hur we spoke about in last week's parsha. He was the one who was killed when he objected to the Jewish people worshipping the Egelazov. Hur himself is the son of Miriam. His mother is Miriam, Moish and Aaron's sister. And his father, by the way, is Kolev. Lamata Yehuda, he is from... That is Betzalel ben Uri ben Lamata Yehuda. He is from the tribe, the tribe of Yehuda. Also, so the architect, the designer, the mastermind behind the construction of the Mishkan, carries out the construction of the Mishkan exactly as Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu. Which, as I mentioned before, means that everything happens without any problem at all. Rashi. If you, again, if you have the Chumash in front of you, follow along. Very famous um, and very difficult to understand Rashi. <inaudible> Says Rashi, <inaudible> Rashi quotes from the Gemara, there's a deal here. There's a nuance in the postdoc that the Gemara picks up on, which, which, all right, it's, it's difficult to understand why the Gemara, why the Gemara is, is, particular about this nuance here when the words "Asher should as see appears so many times in the Parashah, so many times in the Torah but either way the Gemara gets stuck on it here and the Gemara makes this this nuance the Gemara says the Torah should not have said that Betzal constructed the Mishkan the way Hashem in, in exactly in accordance with the way Hashem told Moshe shouldn't have said that because because Bezalel doesn't know, Bezalel isn't there when Hashem gives the instructions to Moshe, seemingly. Bezalel's not around, it's just Hashem and Moshe. So Bezalel cannot build the Mishkan based on the instructions that Hashem gives Moshe. Bezalel has to build the Mishkan based on the instructions that Moshe Abenu communicates to Bezalel that Moshe Rabbeinu heard from Hashem. So the Gemara doesn't like this. What do you mean Bezalel ben Uri ben Chulamate Yehuda does, also does, Eiz kol Hashem, Hashem es Moshe? He does what Hashem commands Moshe. He doesn't do what Hashem commands Moshe. He does what Moshe tells him. But yet the Torah doesn't say that. The Torah says he does it based on what Hashem, he, he, does, it, he does what Hashem tells Moshe. It doesn't say that Salal did what Moshe Rabbeinu commanded. Moshe. But whatever Hashem commanded Moshe Rabbeinu. And what's the difference? It, it, it seems the same either way says, Rashi, this means this means that Betzalel constructed the Mishkan in such a way Betzalel constructed the Mishkan including in the construction were things that Moshe Abenu didn't tell him there were things that Moshe Abenu did not tell him and yet they were also included in the construction of the Mishkan that's why the Torah does not say that Betzalel merely constructed the Mishkan according to Moshe Abenu's instructions to him it says he constructed the Mishkan according to Hashem's instructions to Moshe, because there were things that Hashem instructed to Moshe that Moshe didn't tell Betzalel. That Bezalel into through intuition, also included those in the construction of the Mishkan. Yischemo died to B'sinai. intuitively includes these, is aware of this, and includes this, even things that Hashem told Moshe Avinu on, on Har Sinai that Moshe didn't tell him. What was this? What is it that Moshe Abinu doesn't tell Betzalel? What is it that Hashem tells Moshe? That Moshe doesn't tell Betzalel? That Betzalel nevertheless uh, intuitively includes. <laughs> Moshe Abinu instructs Betzalel to first build, to first construct the Kaelin, to first make all the things inside the Mishkan, the Menorah, the Mizbeach, the Shulchan, etc. The Mishkan, and then to build destruction. Rashi says, Moshe Rabbeinu told Betzalel to make the caleb, to make the vessels of the Mishkan first, and only after that to make the Mishkan. Omale Betzalel says to Moshe, Minag it's the custom of the world, bayis, kelim to first build a home and then to bring the furniture inside it. What do you mean, says Betzalel to Moshe Rabbeinu? First, first we bring a couch and a dining room table and dining room chairs, right? And and, 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 and a bookcase and uh, you know a place to a place to put the Shabbos uh, the Shabbos candlesticks. And then you build a house around it. That's not the way people. That's not what people do. First, you have a house, and then you put the vessels inside it.
1: Oh my Lord, Moshe told him, "Kach This is what I heard from Hashem. Now Rashi doesn't say what Moshe
0: Rabbeinu means. What did Moshe Rabbeinu mean? This is what I heard from Hashem. The way Moshe Rabbeinu said it, or the way B'tzalel said it, the commentaries here on Rashi argue. What does this mean? What was Moshe Rabbeinu saying? Was Moshe Rabbeinu saying, you're right? Eventually Moshe Rabbeinu will agree. But at this point, is Moshe Rabbeinu saying, you're right, that's what Hashem told me? Or is Moshe Rabbeinu saying, no, I'm, j- I'm just telling you what Hashem told me to build the kelim first, not clear. Oh my Moshe, but then Moshe Rabbeinu tells him, quote, Kale ke you you were in the shadow of Hashem. Betzalel can be divided, says Moshe, into two words: Kale, the shadow of Hashem. Because definitely, this is what Hashem commanded me. The chain and so was done. First the Mishkan and then the Kalim. First the first the structure and then the vessel. So it seems. Again, the simple reading of Rashi is that Moshe Benu tells him, ah, look at that. You're right. Certainly, this is what Hashem told me. It's like Moshe Benu told him, it's, it's like you were standing in the shadow of Hashem when Hashem gave me these instructions. Because now that now that you mention it, Moshe Benu says, actually, you're right. This is what Hashem told me. Hashem told me to make the Mishkan first and then to put the Kalim and then and, and, and then to make the Kalim. Okay. End of end of Rashi. I don't know if I would be exaggerating to say, I don't think it would be an exaggeration to say one of the most difficult Rashis in the entire Khamish uh, to understand. Um, we don't have time to get into all of the Diyukin, all of the, you know, every nuance here
1: in, in Rashi that's that, that's difficult. So we'll just stick to the general questions, which are so incredibly obvious. Rashi saying that Betzalel intuitively
0: knew or could feel that there was that the Mishkan needed to be constructed, not the way Moshe Rabbeinu told him Betzalel to construct it, but rather the way Hashem had instructed Moshe Rabbeinu to construct to do it. Again, Rashi's saying Betzalel intuitively figured out that the Mishkan should be, should be built, not the way Moshe Rabbeinu told him, but the way Hashem told Moshe. And that is number one, the reason why the Torah says that he built the Mishkan, he built it according to everything that Hashem constru- instructed Moshe. Implication, not the way Moshe Rabbeinu told him. And that's also the reason, it's, this is also intimated in his name, Betzalel, which means in the shadow of Hashem. It's like when Moshe Rabbeinu and Hashem were talking, Betzalel was lurking in the shadows and he becomes aware of this. And, and, he, and he's aware of this. Okay. Now let's ask the very obvious questions. I'm just going to ask a few. Again, I don't want to get into this. Like You can ask a thousand questions. But I just want to give you the, the general questions. Number one. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu not communicate to Bitzalel the instructions of Hashem as he had received them? This is the greatest and ultimate violation of any Novi. Nevi'im... Neviim who misconstrue the messages that they get from Hashem, any navi get capital punishment for this. A, a navi who changes the words of Hashem is called a navi sheker. We put these Navim to death. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not being hyperbolic. That's the halacha. You, you take these individuals when, if, if and when, because, at the time the capital punishment, the, the Bezdin carried this out. If a navi changed the word of Hashem, he was executed. So what does it mean? Moshe Rabbeinu changes the word of Hashem? That's obviously impossible to fathom. Moshe Rabbeinu, Rabban shall call an Navi, the greatest of all the, the, the greatest of them all. I mean, obviously,
1: I mean, nothing to
0: talk about. Obviously, he wouldn't misconstrue or change the words of Hashem. Okay, obviously. And yet, and, and yet, apparently, when Btzalel challenges him on this, Moshe Rabbeinu says, "Ah." Quote,
1: certainly that's what Hashem said. It sounds like Moshe Ben was having a realization while this was going on. He didn't understand
0: what Hashem told him. He forgot. He misunderstood. All of these are impossible. They're impossible. They're impossible pretenses to, to accept. Of course. Okay. Next. So that's the question of why did Moshe Benin change Hashem's words? Or how did Moshe Benin change Hashem's words? Question number one. Question number two Moshe Abeinu told him, You know, you must have been standing in the shadow of God, as your name indicates. How else would you know that Hashem instructed me to do it differently, to build the Mishkan first and then the Kalem? Also a very strange statement. But Salal tells Moshe Rabbeinu exactly how he knows that the house should be built before the vessels. (laughs) He tells him exactly how he knows. Quote, It's the custom of the world that first you make a house and then you put in the furniture. You don't put in the furniture first and then build a house. That's how B'tzalel knew. (laughs) And he told him that that's how I know. B'tzalel like, you're hiring me as an architect here. Rule
1: number one, don't put the couches before you build the house. Does that even take some kind of chocham to figure out? And Moshe goes, wow! You're in the shadow of Hashem. Moshe sees divine wisdom in Betzalel's comment, when he's literally just,
0: he's giving him the words, the custom of the world, is that this is what we do. And then question number three, and, and again, I'll leave it at that because you can, you can ask so many hundreds more. And question number three is that Moshe Rabbeinu
1: and Betzalel seem to be talking about two completely different things. Betzalel says, first you have to build the house and then you put the calum inside it. Okay, granted.
0: Moshe Abenu told him first to put is he is he understanding that Moshe Abenu told him first you bring in the kalim and then you build the Mishkan around it? that's not what Moshe Abenu said Moshe Abenu told him to make the kalim first and then make the Mishkan but he didn't say that you put the kalim into the Mishkan before the Mishkan is built right? what do I mean? If I build a new house, if I build myself a house, a house, please, God, I follow you in gesagt, right? In Los Angeles, it costs a pretty penny. You'll take my word for it. But let's say with Hashem's help, I build myself a big, beautiful house. Now it's time to bring furniture into the house. Yes? Okay. Do I have to now go and build the furniture too? <laughs> no, I can go to the store or I can go to a storehouse and find furniture that I like and bring them into my house. I don't have to make the furniture after I make the house. And even if I want to make the furniture, even, I, I can take ready-made furniture bring it into my house. And even if I want to design my own furniture all by myself, I can design the furniture, put it in some kind of storehouse, put it in someone else's house until I build my house. And then
1: when I build my house, I'll bring the furniture that I built into my house. Rashi says, Moshe, Moshe instructed
0: Betzalel to first build the kalim, to first make the kalim, and then afterwards to make the mishkan. Okay. Actually, when you read the words, that doesn't seem like a difficult thing to do at all. First make the menorah, then make the mizbeah, then make the shulchan, then make the oran in, or in whatever order, make all the kalim, and then make the Mishkan. What are you going to do with those Kalim while you're making the Mishkan? Put them in storage. Build a, you know, put them in someone's tent. The Jews apparently were not short on tents, right? They had beautiful tents. Store them somewhere. What, 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 what did Betsala think Moshe Rabbeinu was saying? That you're going to be going to build the Kalim and leave them exposed? He tells them, oh, mina ga'oilam is first you build a house and then you bring the Kalim into it. Where did he see? Where does B'tzalot see, in Moshe Rabbeinu's words, anything different than this minag ha'olam? I don't know if my question is clear. They seem to be talking about two different things. Moshe Rabbeinu says, go build the kalim, and then build the mishkan. Okay, does that mean Moshe Rabbeinu is saying you should bring the kalim into the mishkan before you build the mishkan? No, it's not what Moshe Rabbeinu is saying. He's saying, make the kalim. Where will you put the kalim once they're made?
1: same place maybe betzala would keep them in his own living room who cares the levium would store them The Tayanim would store them i don't know maybe Moshe himself can store them what's the difference
0: shall says oh no we can't do that we can't build the kalim first why because the custom of the world is first to build the house and then to bring the kalim in who's talking about whether you build the house first or then bring the vessels inside Yes, of course, before you put furniture in a house, you need a house. Okay, so, so once the, once the Mishkan is finished being built, only then will the kalim or the vessels be brought into it, inside it. There was no discussion about that. The question was only what you should make first. If I want to design furniture and I want to design my house, I want to design it all, right? I'm that kind
1: of guy who wants to live in only a house designed by me and vessels made by me. I have to build the house first before I build the furniture, nonsense. I can build the furniture first.
0: I can even do them both at the same time. Whatever, whatever, however the inspiration, wherever the inspiration strikes me, that's what I'll do. While I'm building the house, I'm obviously not going to have the furniture inside the house. So I put the furniture somewhere else in the meanwhile. But Salel's observation seems to have nothing to do with what Moshe Rabbein was talking about. Moshe said, I gave you an instruction. Go build the kalim and then build the mishkan. He should have gone, built the kalim, put him in a safe place and then build the mishkan. And then when you finish building the mishkan,
1: take the kalim that were already built before the mishkan was built from the safe place wherever they're being stored and put them in the mishkan. No, says B'tzalem. In order to do that, we have to build the mishkan first. Why? And Moshe Ben is so impressed with his genius, divine wisdom. Where's the wisdom? Where's even the relevance? You must have been in the shadow of Hashem to know that first you build a house and then you bring Caleb into it. Okay. The whole thing is difficult; it is difficult to understand. There's again, there's there's much.
0: I, I encourage you to study some commentary on, on this Rashi because the commentaries. I'm, I'm fiercely debate. They have some have some very unflattering things to say about each other, as as sometimes happens. I'll read it to you. There's a comment here. There's a comment here from a, from a mafarsh and Rashi called Levusha Oira. He says Rashi says I've seen people interpreting the words of Rashi. Meshabsh, Rashi. They're distorting the words of Rashi. Olu Alibay with things that Rashi never thought of, and they explain all sorts of different things. He's just very unhappy with some of his fellow commentaries. Um, okay, I want to really, I, I want to fast forward this, um, and just go to what I think to what I think is is actually. I, I think what I'm saying is very obvious, um, and just just give the foundations of what's going on here. Okay. Obviously Moshe Rabbeinu does not distort the words of Hashem, obviously. Obviously Moshe Rabbeinu communicates them to Betzalel exactly as he heard and understood them. Betzalel is obviously saying something in response that makes Moshe Rabbeinu realize that he, Moshe Rabbeinu, hadn't fully understood the full implications, the full extension of what it was that he heard from Hashem. So, so when Moshe Abenu hears B'tzalel, B'tzalel's response to his instructions, B'tzalel's response gives Moshe Abenu deeper insights into the words that he heard from Hashem, which, by the way, this idea that, that, that there's, there are insights, this idea, we find this in the entire Torah, Which idea am I referring to? The idea that Moshe Rabbeinu himself will learn deeper insights into the words that he heard from Hashem from the Jews. There's a very, in all of Tyra, there's a very famous story in, in Gemara Menachas, which we've spoken about before, where the Gemara says Moshe Rabbeinu was put in the back of Rabbi Akiva's classroom. And he hears Rabbi Akiva
1: teaching his students. Says the Gemara, Moshe Rabbeinu, doesn't know what they're talking about. And he felt terrible. <clears throat> Until he hears one of the students in the front of the room ask
0: Rabbi Akiva, what's the source of a particular halacha? And Rabbi Akiva says, halacha leh Moshe, and Rabbeinu hears. Rabbi Akiva say, halacha leh Moshe, and Moshe Rabbeinu felt better. All right, the Gemara actually says there that Moshe Rabbeinu asked Hashem, why doesn't Rabbi Akiva give the Torah? Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu, ask Hashem, why doesn't Rabi Akiva give the Torah? If Rabbi Akiva has insights that Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't know, that doesn't have, Moshe says, Rabbi Akiva should give the Torah. Hashem said, I'm not answering you on that either. <laughs> Hashem says, no, right? This, this is what I have decided. But, but again, the idea is that Moshe Rabbeinu is, is the makabel Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu receives the Torah, he gives it over to the Jews. And then there's a concept of of Talmud Vasik, that a, a, a diligent student sits and there's Machad chidushim in Torah, finds novel insights into Torah. It's all hidden. It's all, it's, it's all buried in the words that Hashem gave Moshe Rabbeinu. But, but again, like, like the Gemara itself says, Moshe Rabbeinu himself didn't fully wasn't fully aware on a conscious level of all of the wisdom of Torah that he himself had received from Hashem and given to the Jews. Because every Jew who studied Torah it has their own perspective and is obligated to have their own perspective. And every element of Torah can be understood in so many different directions. In fact, every Jew is obligated to be mechadoshed, to, to, to say novel insights into Torah. And, and yet we say that every novel insight in Torah was all given to Moshe Rabbeinu and Har Sinai, meaning it's all in the Torah that, Hash, that, that Hashem gave. Okay. So Hashem tells Moshe Abenu to convey to the Jews that there's a mitzvah to build a mishkan. And Moshe Beni does he, constra- he 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 gives over the, the the mitzvah the command that that the that the Jews should build a Mishkan the Jews should build a Mishkan for Hashem okay but now let me ask you what is the purpose of this Mishkan Hashem says I will live there okay but, but what does that mean but how, how does it get expressed uh, what is what is the the tangible outcome of that. So, of course, again, I, I think I'm saying something very obvious. But, of course, for every single, every single Jew experiences the Veshachanti B'Saycham in their own way. Right? Let's go back to the Sfasemes that we started this year with. The Fasema says that for the men and for the women who were both involved in the construction of the Mishkan, it was an entirely different experience. For the women, it was just going higher within, within the realm of holiness. Right? For the women, it was a closer connection to Hashem. And a deeper. The women were already connected to Hashem. It was, it was going deeper. It was taken to a higher level, etc. For the men who had just worshipped Avodah Zor, or had been involved somehow in the worship of Avodah Zor, there was a concept of tshuva and tikkun here.
1: Same mishkan being constructed by one family, a couple, husband and wife. For the man, it's chuga For the woman, it's not. So the mishkan, which was, which was going to be built was for every single person,
0: was, was gonna serve, was gonna serve their their function,
1: was gonna was gonna facilitate for them their connection to Hashem in a way that they needed. There's that famous interpretation, right? The the commentaries say, why does it say,
0: why does Hashem say, make for me a base of mikdash, but shechanti and I'll live in them. It should say, build for me a base of Mikdash and I'll live in it. Very, very famous. The Mephoshim the, the, the say, means Hashem says, which means in every single Jew. So under normal circumstances, we understand that what this means is that even after the base of Mikdash is destroyed, Hashem says, build for me a base of Mikdash in your heart and I'll, in your soul, and I'll live inside every single Jew. But I think that's shallow. Or oh, I think that's not, that's not the, the full extent of it. V'shachati b'soycham b'soych ha-lechot b'echot means even as the Mishkan and the Beis HaMikdash stands, every Jew goes to the Beis HaMikdash and connects with Hashem in their way, according to their spiritual
1: standing. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm basing this on the first Semes. says, for the men it was but for the women it wasn't. So Moshe Rabbeinu hears Hashem say, build a Mishkan. Moshe Rabbeinu hears Hashem say,
0: from now on, all communicate. from now on, Hashem's presence is going to rest in the Mishkan. And then Moshe Rabbeinu communicates that to the Jews. Now, what function does this Mishkan serve for Moshe Rabbeinu and for the Jews? Is it the same?
1: Well, it's the same Mishkan, but it's going to serve to a degree. It's going to serve a different purpose.
0: All right, let's start. What's it going to do for Moshe Rabbeinu? Well, for Moshe Rabbeinu, this is not guesswork. This is in the Pesukim. For Moshe Rabbeinu, this Mishkan is going to be where Hashem is going to speak to him. For all eternity. Once the Mishkan was built, Rashi writes this in last week's Panshan. Once the Mishkan was built, Hashem never spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu anywhere else. It was always in the Mishkan. And where in the Mishkan? Specifically through the Kruvin. Now Moshe Rabbeinu obviously wasn't involved in the Chet Egel. Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, didn't need Kapore in that sense. Of course not. Moshe Rabbeinu is the one who communicates to the Jews the word of Hashem. So as far as Moshe
1: Rabbeinu is concerned, what's the function of the Mishkan? The function of the Mishkan is that this is where Hashem will speak to him. What about the rest of the Jews? Everybody had their role. The men needed to do Teshuvah. The women, the women
0: didn't. They, you know, they were given an additional yomtiv, as I, as I mentioned before. So, I think what Rashi means here in this conversation with Moshe Rabbeinu and Betzalel is that what Moshe Rabbeinu is telling Moshe Rabbeinu tells Betzalel, Hashem instructed us to build a mishkan. Hashem instructed us how. Hashem instructed us to build vessels in this mishkan. Now, when it comes to the question of what comes first, whether you build the Mishkan first, whether you build the vessels first, the obvious answer is which, which is more important. Which one is more important? The one which is more important, you build first. If the vessels are more important, you build them first, put them in storage, and then build the Mishkan. If the Mishkan is more important, then you build it first, and then you construct, then you construct the Kalen. So which is more important, the structure or the vessels? The answer is it depends. For Moshe Rabbeinu, that from here on and for all times, the Reboi would speak to him through the Oren itself. Hashem's voice would come to him from between the, from between the two Kruvim. So the Kalim, and more specifically, not just all the Kalim, specifically the Oren and the Kruvim that sat in the Kodesh
1: HaKadoshin, that was the holiest of things. So Moshe Rabbeinu said... Moshe Rabbeinu
0: told him to make the the kalim first. I don't even know if Moshe Rabbeinu meant chronologically that the kalim should be made first. I I don't necessarily know if that's what Moshe Rabbeinu meant. But but Moshe Rabbeinu was telling B'tzalel, we're going to build a Mishkan. And the kalim, the
1: vessels are going to be used as a conduit through which Hashem is going to speak to us. In other words, Moshe Rabbeinu is giving the instruction and his understanding of, of, of the instruction, which,
0: which from his perspective, the purpose of it was the Mishkan. was the Orin where Hashem would speak to him. Omar loy b'tzalel. B'tzalel tells Moshe Rabbeinu, min go <laughs> tells Moshe Rabbeinu, There's there's another part to this Mishkan which is going to serve a purpose of minaga We're not all Moshe Rabbeinu. We have a little Moshe Rabbeinu inside of us, but we're not Moshe Rabbeinu. You're a Moshe Rabbeinu. But for the rest of us, we live in a place, we live in a zone, a psychological zone, called minaga oilam All right? minaga means... The way the world conducts itself, Minah means a world in which Hashem doesn't speak to us the way Hashem speaks to Moshe Rabbeinu, but
1: a world in which physicality and materialism speaks to us much louder than the voice of Hashem. Minag'olam l'aso is t'chilo bias. As far as the minag'olam is concerned, Betzalel is saying
0: the bias is more important. Why is the bias more important?
1: I'll tell you why. I think. I'll tell you why I think the bias is more important. It goes back to what Rashi writes right before that.
0: On the words Mishkan or Eidus, Rashi says, that the Mishkan stood as a testimony. Eidus li Yisrola was a testimony for the Jews that Hashem forgave them for the Maizu Egil, Hashem, Hashem forgave them for the, for, the, for, the, for the Egil. What? Which part of it, which part of it was a testimony for the Jews that Hashem had forgiven them for the ego Rashi says, it was the Mishkan. It was the structure. It was the house. It was the house, the construction of the Mishkan, that stood as an eidus that Hashem forgave the Jews. That stood as a testimony that the Jews who had sinned and, with Havodah Zor, Gila Rai, as I mentioned last week, had their day of Kaporah of atonement. It says, but, but was arguing with Moshe Rabbeinu. He was telling him the perspective and the reality in the world in which Jews uh, fail and and, and and pervert and soil themselves in a sim called Avoidazora, in a sim called chet In that world, First, you build a house. First, we first we need kapara. Then listen to these words. The mason kalim betzal says all of the kalim that we're going to build. They're all being built, they're all being placed into a base of English. It's all within the context of a Mishkan, which is being built as a Kapora for the Eden. But first you need Kapora. Moshe Aveden doesn't need the Kapora. But Mina the, in the perspective of the world, first you, need the, first you need the Tshuva, and then within the Tshuva, within that, you bring a
1: Menorah, and a Mizbeach, and an Oran, and, and everything else. And I'll tell you what the, what the most amazing part of this is. Says Rashi, Rashi, concludes with the words,
0: Rashi says, oh, that's actually what they did, practically. First the Mishkan and then the Kehle. What does Rashi want? What does Rashi want with those words? It's just finished telling me that Moshe Rabbeinu told B'tzalel, you must have been in the shadow of God to know this. I still it's tough to try to explain what does that mean. But we just finished saying, Moshe said, you must have been in the shadow of Hashem to, to, to know this. Certainly that's what Hashem told me. Says, oh, by the way, actually that's what they did. They, they actually did it that way. They built a the house first and they kept, really? You have to tell me that now that you've just told me that Moshe was conceded that what betzalel is saying is actually what Hashem told him? Oh, actually, Rashi says, and that's actually what they did. <laughs> On a simple level, it's not a question because Rashi is teaching the posak. But ben Uri ben also In the end, he actually does what it was that Hashem had instructed Moshe Rabbeinu. But 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 still, on a deeper level, once you tell me that Moshe concedes the point of Tzalov and tells him you must have been there when Hashem, I mean, you, you, you were like there. You're in, it's in your name, the shadow of Hashem. Rashi says, oh, oh, "Oh, by the way, don't worry. That's like, that, that, that's actually what they did. Why does Rashi add that?" So again, I, I think the point is very simple. I think what Rashi is saying is, "Look, Moshe Rabbeinu has his perspective on the Beis Hamikdash, on the Mishkan, but Tzalil has his. Right? As far as Moshe Rabbeinu is concerned, the kelim are more important. As far as Btzalil is concerned, oilam For the Jews who had sin, they needed first the kapora, and they needed first the structure to, to, to gain kapora for them." Okay. But you know what it's like when, when you read, BeShamay and BeSilo have these arguments, and we say Elav Elav Both are the words of Hashem. Okay, beautiful, granted. But but what's the bottom line halacha. So there's a special siyata deShmaya. The Gemara talks about this. There's a
1: special siyata deShmaya that a person should be zoicha. That the halacha should be like that. The Mishkan was going to service both. Moshe Rabbeinu would find his place in the Mishkan,
0: Betzalel representing Kalal Yisrael, the descendant of Hur who was massacred in the process of the Chet would find would find their place in the construction of the Mishkan. But which one happened practically? Rashi says... Rashi says, In the end, in the end, practically,
1: they followed Minagelov, not Moshe Rabbeinu. Why? Why? I think it all. I think it all goes back to this fascinating word,
0: because it's the Torah. The Torah wants us to know that the perspective of teshuvah. The idea that the Mishkan would serve as an eternal monument for the reunion between Hashem and the Jews, for the rebuilding of their relationship, for them going, for them having gone spiritually to the darkest of places and come back from it. In the words of the Emes, Myla Satsuva, there's a certain
1: spiritual superiority to that, that's greater than everything else. So yes, for Moshe Rabbeinu, the Mishkan would serve the purpose of Hashem speaking to him through it.
0: For for, 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 for the men, it would serve the purpose of tshubah. They would offer up karbonas on Shabbosim, on Yom and tovim. Eventually, the Bezdin HaGodl would sit there and, and, and decide, you know, b- b- make halachic rulings that were relevant to all of Kalisol and to all of Jewish history. But when it was constructed, <clears throat> the emphasis that was placed was Mishkan Tchilo, first the Kaporah, First, first get to that place of tshuva, and then machnisim betoycha kalim, and then everything else goes into that. I want to add one more part. I want to add one more words. Moshe Abenu tells him, "You were in the shadow of Hashem, Betsail kal. You were in the shadow of Hashem. What's the what's the shadow of Hashem? I need not tell you that God casts no shadow." Of course. The shadow makes it, Moshe says, you, the shadow makes it sound like he was lurking in the dark. He was some, and it's in his name, but Sail Kale, somewhere in the dark of, 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 of the shadows of God, you were, you were standing there. That's how you know. What does it mean? Well, perhaps what it means is that Moshe was telling him, your perspective on the Mishkan that it has that the most important part is that it's chuva and kapora for
1: Yisroel. That comes from the dark side. It does, it comes from the dark side. Because if they had never sinned with the Egil azov, right? If they had never s- s- sinned this way, there would be no need for it. But Sail Kale, there is a divine shadow. There is a, there is a, a divine place.
0: That is dark and difficult. What is that? That's the place of sin. That's the, that's. The, those are the dark corners, right? Where, where where immorality lurks. Where where the 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 ability of a Jew to turn their
1: back on Hashem forty days after the giving of the Torah and that that's where it lurks. And that's where Betzalel was coming from, not because he was trying to promote the dark side, but because he said the, 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 the Mishkan,
0: which will gain Kapora, that which will emerge from the dark side, will be even greater. And Moshe Ben said, ah, Bavadai, now that you say it, Bavadai, Moshe ben himself is having a relationship. Ah, Kach of course, the Rabboi Neshleilun's instruction in building a Mishkan Contains a death, Moshe Rabbeinu said, that is even beyond me. Where stand, even great Sadikim don't stand. Okay, I concluded the
1: story. How am I doing with time? 1202. I concluded the story, a quick one. A Hasidic story.
0: I've told this before and I'm saying it again because I love it so much. Legend has it that a Yid was eating in the streets on Yom Kippur. Probably, uh, you know, cheeseburger, al Islam, And he met a chassidish Rebbe. I heard the story about the Yitzchak of Bardichev. It may be a confusion of stories. But be it as it may, the Bardichev or the Tzaddik looks at this Yid who's eating in the streets on Yom Kippur and says, ah, Rebbe Yid, I'm jealous of you. <laughs> rebbe, you must be very hungry if you're jealous of me. Why are you jealous of me? He says in Shemayim, they're more excited about you than about me. I'm standing in shul all day, davening and clapping, banging in my chest and begging and pleading. And you're eating a cheeseburger. And they're more excited about you. You know why? Because they're not saying about you in Shemayim that you did an Aveira. They're not saying about you in Shemaim that you're a terrible Jew. There's no such thing as Averas and terrible Jews in Shemayim. All they're saying in Shemayim is that you've created an opportunity
1: for yourself to do Teshuvah. Betzel ke'el ha'yissah. You're in the dark place. You're in the dark zone. But the light,
0: the potential that can emerge from this, oh, the Mishkan that will be built from this will last
1: forever, will never be destroyed. I'm standing in shul and, you know, davening and, and fasting. They're not as excited
0: about me as they are about you. And of course, when the Yid hears that, he's inspired to understand the true nature of his own soul and to return to Hashem with all his heart.
1: The Mishkan stands as an eternal monument that not only, no
0: matter how far and how dark the Jews descend spiritually, can they always do tshuva and will they always do tshuva, but even more than that, the further away they go, the further they fall, the higher and the greater and the loftier will be their reunion with Hashem. Have a wonderful Shabbos.